Welcome to the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and welcome to the latest episode of a Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. This is Mike Delisio, and I'm joined with Seb. How are you, man? We're back in the building. It's awesome. I know. I, I love recording this way. The last time we we did this was with Gus and Daniel, and that was a riot. But we, we seem to get into the habit of recording on Fridays, which is fine by me. And actually, one of my favorite episodes that we get to do, besides having amazing guests, is when you and I dive into a whole topic and, and kind of just chat bet- amongst ourselves. Well, today's kind of fun because I get to be the interviewer, I guess, and you get to be the non-host you get to be the guest it's funny how that works if it's clinical then it's me. the roles reverse but yeah i guess today if, but it, it'll be shared you and i will, will will figure out what we can do and and hopefully help out our audience because i think it's an important subject that requires a lot of attention and for the most part i can vouch for this personally i've dedicated a ton of time uh, from a professional point of view into helping out our customers in regards to major renovations and and what that looks from a non-sterile or sterile perspective. And it's been a learning experience. It's been amazing. But I hope that we can bring enough information to our audience because I think at some point, whether you are new, whether you're about to get involved in all this, and I think that even came up in our conversation with Shelby, is... You can be new, you can be on the verge of, of construction, you can be also in a major renovation in your current space. And we haven't really teed up the subject yet, but let's just, let's just get well, into it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's crazy because it's actually one of the bigger questions that we're getting through clinical services and through multiple streams is people are facing down pretty significant changes in their architecture of their pharmacy. Um, everything from I've got to upgrade because we haven't changed in five years, 10 years, and we know that there's changes coming within mm-hmm. the um, state board level. But more importantly, we're also seeing changes at the federal FDA level with this FDA in sanitary conditions document and guidance. And then it's also affecting our industry at a higher level um, for all of the suppliers, for everything that we do kind of at PCCA and then down to the pharmacy. And so it would probably be it would probably serve everyone a little bit better if, if everyone kind of understands what we're doing here first and what we've been going through for the last four years and how it kind of rolls back into pharmacies and why it's so important for everyone to be kind of understanding a lot of terminology and what's actually required around construction. Yeah, it's, it's a great point, you know, and yeah, our journey potentially has been even longer than that. Um, the last four years, more specific or related directly to modular wall systems, also known as clean rooms. I think the reality is it, it's all based on regulation. To your point, you know, in sanitary conditions being the, the ultimate factor and the reason why individuals have looked at a modular wall system specifically for compounding either, you know, non-sterile hazardous, non-sterile non-hazardous. So in reference to USP, USP 795, USP 800, and then also, what are the implications for USP 797 and 800 when we're looking at sterile hazardous or sterile non-hazardous? So, 
you know, four different types of compounding. This is relating to the U.S. market and in terms of what I'm referencing to USP and then also to our Canadian audience is that we yeah, have for- to, we got to take our hat off and then have conversations with Canadian pharmacists and talk about what NAPRA guidelines and why they are so specific. Um, so this is going to be a North American conversation because I have found myself in, I would not call myself an expert, but I found myself in an invested role with pharmacists north of the border when they are looking at upgrade, looking at renovation, looking at startup application. And then I'm got to put my USP hat back on when we start talking about the, the implications for insanitary conditions south of the border. Conveniently, they overlap. They are very, very similar. Um, but yeah, let's let's kind of talk about you know where someone starts what are the important considerations when looking at the implementation of a modular wall system and the most important thing seb is really the design um before you obviously need to have a very firm understanding on guidelines and what is going to be required by state board by provincial guidance in regards to our individuals north of the border Uh, but truly is understand the guidelines. There's no other way to actually look at it. Now, at the same time, it's taking a look at your pharmacy space, and that's why I mentioned that design is so important. It's having a very firm understanding of what the footprint of your labs will look like and how much space do you have. The the reason why design is also important, and this is really relevant to probably the questions that you get in clinical services, but that dovetails into workflow. So what is your volume? How many scripts are you performing on a daily basis? Who are your personnel? How many workstations do you plan on having? Um, this is all great. I, I, I've seen examples of people that are trying to build a hazardous area for non-sterile compounding that is three times the size of their non-sterile, non-hazardous environment. So when we talk about the monographs, let's say, it's comparing 795 versus 800 from a non-sterile application. And then my first question is, what represents more of your compounding scripts? And then I find out that they're doing three times the amount non-hazardous. So I always wonder, why on earth are you trying to build such a big hazardous lab? Um, and that's just providing professional guidance because you're now bringing in implications of the external ventilation of air. You are now moving cubic feet of air air exchange of 12 times an hour, maintaining a pressure differential of 0.01 to 0.03 of negative inches water column differential. So now there's a whole bunch of other considerations that now potentially bring in a mechanical engineer to to kind of work through all that. But I I want to start off with the design because these are all really important concepts. And, you know, if sterile is part of your world, do you want to build a modular wall system for the purpose of having a clean room, both from a gowning anti and buffer area and taking those room considerations um, in place before you move forward with the project. And what is your non-sterile room going to look like? And I think that's why I keep on coming back to the terminology of modular wall system versus clean room is that yes, ideally in a, in, in a sterile world, you are physically building a clean room within a clean air environment. However, from a non-sterile point of view, the word clean room always comes up because it's a modular wall system, but essentially what you are physically building is a segregated lab from your current environment to perform non-sterile compounding activities that is isolated from the rest of the pharmacy. 
And I, I think this is a really key piece that people kind of have to stop and, and visualize. A sterile environment is trying to keep the area clean from contamination from an external source. For our hazardous drugs and our non-sterile, we're trying to stop the contamination from the lab into the rest of the pharmacy. So I'm going to kind of pitch it back to you. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about design. You're talking about layout. You're talking about the size and the scope. But I kind of want to pitch it back to you because I know where you're going to go next. And, and I don't want to steal any thunder there. Where am I going next? Well, I figured you were going to start talking about the actual construction, the actual yeah. wall units and why we're talking about modular versus retro, like kind of a renovation or refit yeah. or a kind of like, oh, I'll just, I'll kind of tack it in and use what I've already got existing. It's just, uh. Yeah. I, and I think it's, it's a perfect time to be very clear in terms of some of the terminology that I've heard that, you know, maybe we can clear up and explain what a modular wall system especially what that looks like for a non-sterile application. I talked about having the segregation in re relating to the rest of the pharmacy. You now have a contained environment. Um, that could be possible in the situation you just outlined. Um, sometimes pharmacies are short on space. They may have a dedicated room that is blocked off from the rest of the pharmacy. And I think it's important to be very clear is that, is this a requirement? The answer is no. It is not required to have a modular wall system for non-sterile application. Does the installation, the quality of materials come into play and be a differentiating factor in relating to insanitary conditions? Absolutely. I think it's night and day. And that's what I probably want to dive a bit deeper into. So, And, and, and it is listed in the documents the construction materials have to have specific criteria, non-porous, non-resorbable, non-reactive, mm -hmm. easy to clean, and then very specific construction guidance with respect to how it's assembled. And then the FDA in sanitary conditions layers on top of it some, mm -hmm. or kind of is a, is a, is another step that we have to be cognizant mm -hmm. of. So, yeah, it's, so take things back a sec in relating to, renovation of your current facility, let's say you opt not to have a modular wall system. Everything that you mentioned, all those requirements, you know, what type of cleaning agents will you use? How long will drywall with epoxy paint hold up in cleaning from, you know, multiple times a day? Um, are there paint chips? What does that look like when you do have physical paint chips because a stainless steel cart bangs into a wall? You know, now your room has downtime. You know, so those are all considerations that are super important. The quality of the materials become very important. And I, I use this term a lot, but the reduction of 90 degree angles within the room becomes extremely important. So, you know, ledges, um, floor cornering that meets the wall panel without any coving. What do your ceiling tiles look like? Are they sealed? Um, what type of ceiling tiles are you using? Are, is your lighting containment system also sealed off to the rest of the pharmacy from above is what is the I will call it a joint what does the joint look like between your ceiling tiles and your wall panel is that a 90 degree angle because in most rooms it's a 90 degree angle the, the, it's funny that you bring that up in drywall construction they call it a devil's a devil's um, edge it's like if you've got two pieces of drywall meeting at the roof in a corner it's mm -hmm. just like you can't seal it properly without a ton of work. And it's just an absolute disaster to, to 
make it look nice. Forget about cleaning it. Right. Forget about keeping it sealed or, or airflow mm -hmm. or contamination. So keep going. No, it's a, it's a really good point. And I think these are all the things that I've walked through with some of our members, with the help of someone like you in clinical services or someone like Matt, when we talk about regulations, because if you're in an extremely confined area, absolutely go ahead and, you know, utilize or change your floor to epoxy surface. If that is what you're looking at, it's non-porous, it's highly durable. Great. Um, you know, the, your type of cabinetry or shelving, these are all considerations. The, where with the types of walls that you're going to have and how you want to paint them, what do your ceiling tiles look like? All these things need to be taken into consideration. So can it be done? The answer is yes. Um, it, it essentially it might be cost effective, depends on who's doing the work. Uh, but the reality is what is the long-term implications of the materials that you've chosen? And what does that look like from cleaning validation and what happens if and when there is foreign matter in the room as a result of the environment that you're in. So to fast forward, and why that is, is such an important statement, is that when we look at the implementation and first design of a modular wall system, we are now using materials from your wall panel itself, which is a highly durable aluminum laminate surface that is easily cleaned. There are no angles, they are flush mounted walls. We use high grade GMP pharma grade silicone to meet the panels together. And then, so we're looking at walls, we're, look, we're taking your floor into consideration, the ceiling tiles are a non-porous material, the lighting structure is completely LED, those wall panels fall exactly in the ceiling diagrams that we designed. So we know where your workstations will be, where your air return grills will be. If it's a sterile application, we know exactly the, the quantity and the placement of your HEPA filters. We are looking at the, for example, this is a really good one. It's small for most, but probably one of the most important takeaways, recessed electrical outlets. Also another major consideration in regards to cleaning. So um, we also manage that. We also include the raceways, the conduit, pass-throughs within the wall panels themselves. So from an electrical connection point of view, back to your main electrical panel, you know, the major work is done. Uh, an electrician will physically connect the outlets to your main panel. And, and we also have the ability to customize the amount of outlets that you need. That's another thing that is highly customizable when you are designing a modular wall system is the placement of your outlets and the, the amount of outlets required. Now, these are all major components, uh, windows, doors, pass-throughs, also a big consideration for hazardous compounding when it comes to a non-sterile point of view is the physical transition to the item being a finished good and then passed off to an individual outside the lab. That also reduces, you know, garbing and ungarbing and, and you know, the hand washing and everything that comes into play. Pass-throughs are an amazing workaround from a workflow perspective to keep your staff and your personnel within the hazardous environment at all times. But you know, before we even get any deeper on the materials, I think this is a, a broad picture of what I'm trying to paint. One of the most competitive advantages of a modular wall system, specifically designed with PCCA and the Nikos group, which I'll talk about afterwards, is the coving. The aluminum coving that is used, and this is hard to demonstrate on an audio podcast, but the <laughs> coving essentially are rounded mold, molding, essentially, from an inverted point of view that go along your floor, 
that go along the vertical seams of your walls, that go along the horizontal seam of your ceiling tile. To your point earlier, Sebastian, um, the devil's edge or the devil's corner yeah. um, is the full reduction of having any angles within the pharmacy, especially along your doorways and everything else. So when we talk about you know sweeping, when we look at you know the, the physical cleaning of the walls, the ceiling tiles, whatever that may be, it is a completely internal rounded edge where there are no rough corners. So from cross-contamination, in sanitary conditions, and this is where I want you to chime in too from your point of view, is there, it, it, this is a full, I don't know how to explain this. There's no dust traps. Correct. There's no, there's no edges. There's no places of uh, where, where dust can hide or contaminants, Absolutely. as well as viable particles or water that can collect. Absolutely. All, and now all major considerations. It, and it doesn't matter if it's sterile or non-sterile, what you're doing is you're removing an area of contamination that can be problematic for either hazardous chemicals or for sterile applications. It, yeah. it, it kind of works for both, and that's, that's the key. The beauty of all this too is we have taken a sterile approach from a modular wall system design that comes with the experience of, of a partnership with us and Nikos. And this is really important, and as a takeaway, for how we approach the construction of modular wall design. Nikos has many years of experience in the GMP pharmaceutical space from a sterile point of view. We have taken their materials, we have taken their design, and scaled it down to pharmacies for non-sterile and sterile applications. So even when we start looking at a USP 795 lab or a USP non-sterile 800 lab, we are taking sterile materials, materials designed for sterile application, and brought that into a non-sterile environment. So cleaning and those insanitary conditions that you mentioned are paramount. And the only other thing I was going to say before I let you continue is that I believe the approach that we take is an holistic point of view in terms of we are looking at every little thing that could potentially be a challenge or a concern down the road, and that if you are looking at doing something of this nature, you're now looking at the confidence of knowing that you are physically able to compound, whether it's a sterile drug or a non-sterile drug, from a non-sterile or sterile point of view, and have the confidence in your facility. So in time of inspection, that an inspector will look at every little thing because they know exactly what to look for. It, it, it becomes very easy to them to, to have a database of insanitary conditions and know exactly where the troubles may lie and they will look for those trouble areas in every single inspection. So I just want to bring that up because this is probably the best way that I can pass things back to you because you have experience with members that have gone through the challenges with inspections and it's like, help me get out of this. So I, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to bring this one up and a lot of people are going to shudder when I talk about it. Um, they've heard about the inspections from the state board or, and, and they're collecting data. They're getting together. When you're in, on, when you're in Canada, the inspector teams or the assessor teams are actually working in groups and understanding the parameters to which they should be inspecting as well as things to look for to move in the direction of compliance. And so that's the key where... If you've heard the horror story, it's 
It's because you've heard the negative consequence from the pharmacy side. The inspectors or the assessors or your governing regulatory authorities that are coming into your facility, they are collecting that data. And like you said, they, they know what to look for and they're sharing this. And so their expectation is, I want to know where to look before I get there versus, um, oh, I've seen that, now I have to go investigate. They're sharing. And so all of those pieces are starting to come to bear and we are trying to problem solve well ahead for you. And construction is probably the biggest piece. Um, we've heard it time and time and time again where we're seeing like uh, in sterile environments, contamination from poor construction. We're seeing issues related to poor construction. Now we're getting into USP 800, which is going to become a bigger challenge for most people because we're reversing everything. We're drawing air out. We're creating a negative pressure. And people are starting to realize it's not that easy from a renovation aspect. Um, one of the most challenging things that people don't quite understand is creating that negative pressure from a pulling aspect so that they're not getting this leakage. And that's, that's what it's called, is air coming from everywhere. Where is it coming from? I have to seal the room to get this consistent negative pressure so I can get it through the right filtration systems so I'm not potentially having backflow and air contamination issues. The, the consequence of HVAC in poor construction is literally tens of thousands of dollars versus, oh, we built it right the first time. Now we can just follow through with the easy plug and play HVAC system. And it, and it is funny because there's whole blogs about poor construction, air leakage, negative pressure consequence, and then contamination, continued contamination and not being able to certify. If you can't cert certify any of your rooms, you're dead in the water. You can't compound. It's just that simple. So, and, and, and it's written, it's actually written the requirements. And that's where the HVAC people are, are struggling and they're overbuilding fans and overbuilding containment systems because they can't control the room. Yeah. That's it, and, and it's such a big part of also what we do with the Nikos group is also the full installation alongside with their personnel. So they understand the wall systems. They know how these wall systems need to be assembled. Um, it potentially is a longer process than people assume because the reality is, to your point, Sebastian, is these rooms need to be completely sealed off. And when I mentioned the um, high-grade GMP pharmaceutical grade as well, uh, silicone that's used, that silicone is not only used between each four-foot panel assembled in the room, it's also used along the ceiling tiles, along all the coving. So you have a completely sealed, we'll call it a quote unquote, a box. The box is completely sealed. In order to achieve the amount of the right air exchanges to maintain the pressure differential, especially from a negative environment, so critical. And this becomes of the utmost importance, even from a positive pressured sterile room for 797, because now you're blowing clean air through a HEPA filter connected to your HVAC system. And now that room needs to maintain sterility. So what happens if a ceiling tile is partially lifted? What, what happens if a door does not have uh, an airtight guillotine to separate the pressure differential between your antechamber and everything else? So these are all materials that you know can be incorporated because of the modular approach and makes things much easier. You, can you acquire all these materials elsewhere? Absolutely, you probably could. Um, you know, is your door leveled? Uh, what does your door frame look like? You, and the, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm laughing because I've done renovations and construction and it's like, sounds easy, right? It, install a door. 
and and it, the, and it's, that's that's without any guidance or requirements mm -hmm. around the door. Right. It's, it's this is why we hire professionals just to install a door. Forget about doing it in a system where you need to have airflow control. And if you and if you look at most door panels, and I don't know how often people pay attention to a door panel. Probably not as much as as you would think, and neither have I. But I'm staring at one right now. You see that there's a a sharp edge around the door panel itself. Whereas mm -hmm. that's where you can have, once again, you know, dust, you know, foreign matter, things that are collecting over time that are not necessarily cleaned correctly. And it's all about mitigation of risk. I think that's what we need to come back to is that this is not a, a solution that you install it, you're done, you're good to go. It's about mitigating the risk to prevent insanitary conditions to create an environment from either a sterile or non-sterile point of view that now only you are in the process of protecting your personnel, you are also protecting the environment in which 503A compounding activity is performed. Mm -hmm. And I would, and I have personally seen the amount of projects that we've worked with and how beautiful these labs are. I don't want to get into a marketing piece, but the reality is you are now providing the confidence to your patients and to your physicians that this is how you are differentiating yourself between your competition down the street. I would, if I had a, a modular wall system designed for, even for non-sterile application, I would use that as a showpiece. And if people want to know why can I obtain a compound across town for half the price? Well, what are the quality of the ingredients going into that compound? What does our lab look like? And by all means, come and see it. And I think that's a really cool thing that you can also do with your modular design. Have it incorporated in your pharmacy that it's also visible to your patients in public. As a consumer, as a patient, I would feel way more confident looking at that type of setup. And, and, it's, and it's so important. And I, and I think this is, the, this is the wave of the future. This is what I believe compounding is headed and why things like this are so important, not from a regulatory point of view because of requirements, but truly the way that 503A non-sterile compounding can be performed. It, it, it's, yeah, of course the regulatory drives it, but it's a professionalism, it's a pride. It's also um, an expectation that's gonna be coming from the public of, I have this expectation of quality and quality outcomes, and that's gonna be related to functionality, facility, and also regulatory compliance. It's, there's only, as we shake things out, and it shouldn't be scary to anyone because everyone who's getting into this should be looking at this as, okay, I'm going to have to spend money on my lab, but I would be looking at it as efficient spend of money because I don't have to teach people the regulations. I can say, this is what I need. And it can already be, Hey, we've done it a hundred times. I know how to do it, but also I need to be compliant so I can continue. So it's a business protection piece, but it's also an efficient spend of money, but it's also a very efficient outcome for everyone because we've, it's already been proven and demonstrated to be functional. And so that wave of the future has already arrived. It's just, when do you want to execute? That's a better question. Yeah. And, and I also take a lot of what you said from a sterile approach. So even if you have a dedicated area in your pharmacy right now that you potentially want to look at renovations, the most important consideration from a sterile point of view is that you are physically building this clean room. Um, with the appropriate chambers or rooms or dedicated areas segregated for gowning, segregated for your ante area and your prep area prior to going into your buffer area. 
And why that is so important is that most of the time, I don't believe I've ever seen it, nobody really builds rooms that are four by six, six by six going into a room that's you know, another six by six room. So, you know, you don't necessarily find that in natural construction. It's not, it, it's quite abnormal. And mm -hmm. I would find, be, I'd be hard pressed to see that that truly exists. So, <laughs> yeah. So even if you incorporate or split those rooms in half with a dividing wall, it's definitely possible. But look at the footprint and then understand that from a mechanical point of view, very easy to connect wiring, very easy to connect plumbing, very easy to connect your HVAC unit to supply makeup air through your HEPA filters, through your existing system, especially from a sterile approach that's non-hazardous. That's, that's an easy connection and you're, you're developing a positive pressure environment w and with the utilization of, of monitoring of the proper pressure differential between each room and, and then ultimately where the final preparation is made um, in your buffer area. So, you know, those are all major considerations to take. And at the end of the day, I, I truly believe it's cost effective. I know it's easy to say from, from my seat in the bus, but the reality is that we're not talking <laughs> half a million dollars. It's, it, this can be done according to an adequate budget when looking at HVAC um, overall cost, whether it's external ventilation or not, I think that's where that's a, a parameter or an area or a factor that should be considered. I just want to be clear as well. When looking at external ventilation of non-sterile air to meet USP 800 requirements and the pressure differential that I mentioned, I just want to make sure that it's very clear is that I would love to provide a budgetary cost. I would love to provide advice because your current air handling system needs to be taken into consideration and everyone's is unique. And I don't know the amount of air that physically needs to be externally evacuated from the room. These are things that need to be processed with a mechanical engineer. So those are the only areas of costs that I think if you are prepping yourself mentally from a budgetary expense, my recommendation is look at what the HVAC costs are first before even looking at what the modular room will look like because it's a big part of your budget. And, and I think that is ultimately a fear, but it shouldn't be a fear. It should really be a motivating factor of saying, how do I make this set up correctly and how can I use this to propel myself to the future and also meet regulation? So I, I'm gonna kind of jump in on this one a little bit because the budgetary concerns, and honestly, I've done I've lived through a couple of renos in labs. I've lived through it with some of our members and it's always the same thing. It's delays and always over budget because we're always dealing with construction that exists. In the modular rooms, and I've said this right from kind of day one, is a modular room is the easiest thing to do because you measure out what you want and they construct it for you, then they bring it and they set it up. Completely you customizable. Just, you literally just need an empty space to put in the box. And then you connect an HVAC system and it becomes significantly easier, faster, and more efficient. Plus you have known timelines on this, on this construction. And so budgetary, I, I laugh when people are like, oh, it seems like a really steep price. Has anyone ever renovated a kitchen? You talk to people about renovations in kitchens and it's always over budget. T timeline is like, what is it? Double the cost in one and a half times the time mm -hmm. that you expect. 
If you build a new kitchen, it seems to all go really, really fast because you're not dealing with the problems of pre-existing issues. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of another big one that I, that I kind of have to say is like, if you're looking at a modular room, I'd rather have an empty space and put in a modular room because the construction will be faster and on budget. Because once you spend the money, it's spent. Right. You bought it. And, you're, and there's no responsibility for further installation. I think one of the beauties of what we do too is that we are responsible from the moment it arrives and all the equipment and material required to build your rooms arrive at your facility. We disassemble everything. We we physically construct the room. We work together with your mechanical It's, it's Mike and I. We show up. Not myself. We're wearing like PCCA. white shirt says PCCA Nikos PCCA installation team. Nikos group. Let me be very, <laughs> let me be very clear. Not so that, us. Not it, Mike and I. <laughs> uh, PCCA and the Nikos group will ensure the delivery of all your materials and panels. Um, the laborers on staff, along with a Nikos foreman, will be responsible for disassembling, bringing all the material into the facility. And it could be quite substantial. Um, and then they're physically responsible to work with the mechanical engineers, a general contractor, an electrician, a plumber, you know, the other individuals that truly are part of your, your construction job to ensure that the room is installed correctly, but most importantly, is ready for further compliance. So that's a piece of confidence that I think needs to be highlighted. But even before we get to disassembly, delivery, installation, et cetera. One of the most important things that you just mentioned, Seb, and I wanted to bring up from earlier on is the full customization that we are able to do in the design phase. And I may have alluded to it because design being so important, we can design anything that somebody needs in regards to how big you want a certain space, the location of a pass through. I mentioned that for the most part, we utilize four foot panels in width but that is completely customized down to an eighth of an inch upon installation. So if you have a wall that's 12 feet and three quarters, you know, we will accommodate that. And we know the amount of wall space to design, whether we're incorporating half solid panel, half glass, whether or not we are incorporating 40 inch windows, whether we are incorporating a pass-through. Um, one of the coolest things that we also do, and I just glanced over it was, if you do want a half glass, half panel, so that it creates more visibility into your lab, that's something that we also do with the appropriate coving in the window ledges. So once again, no ledges, no 90 degree angles. It is a complete smooth transition. Um, where I was going with all this was not only the windows and doorways and everything that can be customizable, the, the true fact is we can, we can work around your current pharmacy and we can also do something called wall cladding. So that's a question that I get very often is I already have an existing wall. Should I epoxy that existing wall and build three walls around it? And my immediate answer is I would not. I would cover your current wall with something called wall cladding, which essentially is the same wall panel material that we use from a modular setup but if you can imagine it from a, a side profile point of view, there's no backside, but we're using the same material to cover your existing wall. So once again, taking into consideration insanitary conditions, cleaning validation, you don't have to worry about a different cleaning procedure for your epoxy painted drywall and for the other walls. We can worry about the coving, yes, but can that wall be cleaned with the same cleaning agent because it's epoxy? cover it up with the same material. It's, it's not that much of the budget. And the reality is that's another customization that we can do. 
Uh, as a takeaway to this, we've done projects with two walls that are wall cladding and then two modular walls. So if you can imagine a corner fit area, most of the time for either non-sterile or, or sterile application, these are things that we can do in the customization phase. I would like to add this as a caveat um, and also it has a financial impact. Depending on how the room is recognized as a potential piece of equipment, if it is a full freestanding area with four freestanding walls, there could also be advantages from a depreciation point of view as a piece of equipment. So now there's financial implications to building a modular wall space versus utilizing the existing space that you have within your establishment. And, and I think what we're talking about is um, equipment depreciation that can be written off by your accountant over period of time, the life of the expected equipment function. Correct. Versus, oh, I did a renovation and it's money spent never to be recouped. It's it's a yeah. it's a tenant improvement, but it's not necessarily a it's not the same depreciation depreciating asset. So that's a business one that I picked up from you, which mm -hmm. I think is really important because if you're going to spend, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars on a piece of equipment, there's actually a place in your budget for that depreciation, which can then return on your on your actual taxes paid. Correct. So. It's no longer maintenance renovation expense. It now becomes <laughs> acquisition of equipment that can be depreciated as an asset. So I'm not going to try to put my accountant hat on. But um, <laughs> after being married to a CPA, that's it's that's enough. Um, but well, apparently you're listening because I've been listening to you, and I sort of have a handle on it. So she's pretty bright. The, the biggest consideration that I would bring up here is speak to an individual that specializes with tax, and and how materials can be depreciated and what the implications are. Because I think that is a really big deal. And and the moment we talk about wall cladding, and the covering up of the existing walls. And how I sometimes, it's an option, but it's but not I lean towards full, full modular, and I think that's what I think some people want to know: how much money are you saving with wall cladding? And the reality is, over a twelve foot wall, you're probably saving, off the top of my head, potentially four or five hundred dollars, rather than just yeah. putting a fully modular wall. And the beauty of what we can do too is that a modular wall can essentially be installed within two inches of your existing wall. Yeah. Still segregated from the rest of the pharmacy, you know, it, it will come across as that it is a complete freestanding unit and is physically installed. You don't need a 12 or 14 inch gap in between both spaces. It can be literally installed right up against another wall. So while wall cladding is important when, when space is a concern, I wanted to bring up these considerations as well because it often comes up when I do a quote review and I talk about our materials and I talk about everything is, is truly letting people know that this approach as a business owner has financial implications. Obviously, it's, it's a big acquisition. Um, one thing I would like to make mention of too, especially with our team in the US, is that we work together with the LCC group, which is a, you know, a leasing organization. And we can also look at what that looks like for how to lease to own, and then at the same time have the tax advantages of depreciating as an asset. So there's, there's tricks and there's ways that the expense cannot be as impactful as one would think, and that ties into budgetary considerations. So we've just kind of put a lot of information mm -hmm. into people. So I'm, I'm gonna take three steps backwards, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna start off with, before you do anything, 
before you even start, what I want you to do is sit down and look at your existing pharmacy. And you want to look at your footprint and you want to start sketching out a basic design of what your renovation should encompass in floor space and square it out. Next steps, pick up the phone and actually speak to someone who can help you in the design phase. Um, be it someone, on, and, and I'm going to throw Matt Martin under the bus, be it Matt Martin, be it myself, be it someone who can actually kind of say, hey, let's talk about workflow, let's talk about these, but put yourself in contact with someone who can help you with the design first and understand the implications of, of all of these, the pros, the, the cons, the benefits, the, and the, some of the costs, because it doesn't hurt to actually have an understanding of what costs you're going to be going into, as well as some of the design features before you say, I'm going to work with this contractor. I'm going to start here. Start with a sketch, start with your expectations, start with your needs and a good value, kind of a good analysis of what your business is and what your expectation is of out of those rooms and then pick up the phone and then you're going to call and talk to your sales rep here at PCCA. And they're going to be the ones who are going to start quarterbacking the decision so you can actually start or quarterbacking some of the, the pieces so you can talk to the design team, then talking to the Nikos reps, talking to potentially designers and mechanical engineers mm -hmm. and getting it all together because information is key to you not spending extra dollars. Yeah, and, and that's also in line with, you mentioned analysis, analysis of business needs and growth. So when evaluating space required for, you know, non-sterile, non-hazardous compounding, evaluating your space for hazardous compounding. Um, take that into consideration. You know, and also, what are, what are your sterile goals from a sterile compounding point of view? Are you going to be focusing only on items that are considered non-hazardous? And do you envision the potential of sterile hazardous application and USP 800 and 797 and why that is so important from 30 air exchanges per hour? and a negative pressure environment from a sterile application. And I know a lot of the projects that we quote on are for really, I, I consider them the four major types of compounding, which is sterile, hazardous, sterile, non-hazardous, non-sterile, hazardous, non-sterile, non-hazardous. So I know it's, it's a word jumble, but the reality is if we look at that approach, you are looking at five separate areas, five separate rooms, potentially six, and those are things that I would love to, to have in consideration when looking at a footprint, when analyzing design. And I think this is really important and it's not necessarily a plug. It truly is a partnership. We work together with Eagle Analytical for rooms that are of higher complexity. Eagle Analytical has consultants on staff that also facilitate workflow and design and that act as a consultant with PCCA and the Nikos Group to provide an adequate drawing, because that drawing and that design becomes so important, not only for the quoting, but physically to make sure that you are future-proofing yourself and doing this correctly, because it's a lot harder to change after the fact. So the design concept is so important. We work together with an amazing team at Eagle Analytical. The easiest way, and Seb, I'm gonna walk through our process to make sure that everybody's clear if you have interest. So normally what happens is when we obtain a final design, whether it be extremely basic, like building a quote unquote box for non-sterile hazardous compounding, that's pretty easy. I can help you out with the design placement of your pass-through, your doorway, et cetera. Um, I don't believe that requires an external consultant, but we can identify the placement of the lab in your pharmacy. Once we obtain your, your final design, 
I will go ahead, we'll work together with the Nikos group, obtain a quote, and then we will walk through the quote, discuss material cost, discuss all the components I mentioned earlier, ceiling tiles, lighting, recessed outlets, coving, doorways, windows, pass-throughs, air return grills, anything else that would be considered a generality or accessory. Once that stage is complete, we have the ability to move forward with manufacturing if you were to go ahead with the project, and then we can expect um, essentially delivery and installation within a 12-week timeline. So, and that's where we work together to your point with your mechanical engineer, your electrician, your plumber, your general contractor who would be responsible also for your flooring. So that covers everything from scope of responsibilities, covers our timelines, and that's how I'm involved with every single project. I wanna be clear as well, uh, part of my job description and what I do at PCCA is I, I also help as a project manager for every single clean room project. And I am also the conduit between ourselves and the Nikos group and their project management team to ensure that the project is designed accordingly and installed accordingly um, upon acquisition. So that's a really big part of what I do. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this up. It's not just clean rooms. It's all modular rooms for all absolutely. compounding applications. Yeah, I, I think we covered non-sterile and sterile to death. And, yeah. and we talked about modular wall system. It really encompasses all of the above. And I think the easiest place that you can learn more is that we've positioned it, in my opinion, in a much easier way to learn and navigate everything we discussed today. Um, there will be an article that's coming out in our recent summer apothegram. So if you have received your summer apothegram, everything that I've mentioned today and we've discussed is all captured within the apothegram. I wrote an article that will be featured in, for this summer, which is an amazing compliment to listening to all this. You also got the benefit of having Sebastian and I walk through all these major components and materials. Um, there will physically also be a webinar um, linked onto our clean room page. So when you go to PCCARX.com and click the product tab at the top, not, uh, the top nav bar, it's a hard thing to say. Um, <laughs> if you click that, you'll see products and then you'll see clean rooms. So we have a complete dedicated clean room page that walks through once again, all the materials, you'll see a lot more visuals and that's going to be the best complement to even our webinar or the apothegram article that's recently come out. The reality is you'll now see all the, the completed projects that we've worked with. So this will hopefully be a great way to wrap your mind about what this looks like. You'll see imagery on our website. You'll, we'll, we focus in on the coving. We focus in on you know the, the seamless panels. And everything that I spoke about is illustrated so well on the website. On that page, there is also the opportunity to learn more. When you click on the learn more and you want a physical or you want contact with an individual on behalf of our team, uh, once you fill out the, the quick info, uh, info path information, um, enter your name, your, your pharmacy, your member number, et cetera, we'll be in contact with you right away to learn more about your products. So in regards to next steps, if you need to learn more information, I would say reread the apothegram article that goes out to all membership. We have the webinar that will be on our, on our public and private site with Matt Martin and myself. Um, and then we also have the, the website to learn a lot more about our project. So 
I hope everybody's in good hands, especially with this podcast, because it gives them a much better understanding of where they can acquire the information. And then we'd be more than happy. And then I can hopefully jump on a call and learn more about your project as well. And, and Mike, like I, I, I'm kind of speaking from the position of coming from the pharmacy. It's like, oh, this information is so overwhelming. I'll just get a general contractor to do it. I'll, I'll kind of muddle my way through. Um, what are just really quickly, what are your three most common pitfalls that people kind of fall into and then start scrambling for help? And then number two, what is a normal expected timeline so people can start wrapping their head around from design, from the initial start to the completed project? What's a kind of common one? So three normal pitfalls that people start calling for help. And then what's an expected timeline for a simple 800, uh, a, like a, a single modular room. Yeah. And let me, let me tackle that question first. So single modular room for hazardous compounding, seven chambered suite for all types of non-sterile or sterile compounding in the biggest facility have the same timelines. So it's really important to note uh, magnitude of project probably has minimal significance on timeline from the moment of design to quote, to acquisition, to final CAD drawing, um, elevation, final placement of all minor measurements that need to be taken into consideration, and then manufacturing process, ocean freight delivery, because all these rooms are manufactured in Italy. I need to note that as well. They are all manufactured in Milan, Italy. Uh, they are not manufactured in the United States, so there is some time for ocean freight delivery. And then all, when all is said and done, depending on the magnitude of installation, normally I see everything between starting point A, which is obtaining the quote, and then walking through that quote to the moment of installation is approximately 12 to 16 weeks. I think that's a good rough estimate for all the projects that I've worked on, 12 to 16 weeks according to completion. Um, I would say, let's go back to your other question on pitfalls. When do people start realizing that they're, like what are the most common pitfalls that people kind of go, oh God, because we want people to be aware. Like, it's pretty easy to start, but it's when you get hung up, usually these are the ones that usually throw people to pick up the phone. I think we, we talked about design and depending on the complexity of the room, design becomes so important. And that might be an area that requires the further consulting help with someone like Eagle that will really do a deep dive on how many scripts are non-sterile, how many scripts are sterile, you know, what are your requirements, what's hazardous, what's not hazardous. So I think that's, we, we discussed the analysis part. It yep. is really, really, really important. Eagle will help with workflow, placement of hoods, um, personnel in each room, especially from sterile point of view, how much makeup air is per needed and required, et cetera. So that's an area that does require some type of assistance depending on the complexity of the project. I would say another complexity or a pitfall that people will run into is when they are truly stuck on the renovation and trying to do it stick build and then wonder what they need from a regulatory point of view to mitigate their risk. And then they realize that to your point earlier, it's got a high budget cost. You're going to be over your time, your estimated timeline. And then I essentially, you're going to have to go back and maybe think about a modular room and it might be too late because it is, it is a long process. And, and the reason I'm kind of jumping in on this part is mm -hmm. you sometimes are training the contractor you're working with on the regulations that you are trying to wrap your head around and you are paying someone to learn. You're paying them their contractor fee, their, 
their learning fee, so to speak, if they've never done it before. So working with new contractors that seem really cheap off the front, they tend to add up because they're learning as they go. And those mistakes, oh, okay. Yeah. Number three, what's your last one that most people kind of go, oh man. I think I spoke about it earlier and it's not a deterrent. It's just truly wrap your head around the fact that HVAC is a component of all this um, and, and needs to be considered. And, and ideally you find somebody locally because it's impossible for us to work from a North American perspective, mm -hmm. um, local requirements, your current air handling system, these are all so critical in performing the calculations. And that's why a mechanical engineer who's local, who has experience with either labs, hospitals, pharmaceutical experience, those are the individuals that are gonna also bridge that gap. I, like I said, it's not a deterrent, it just, it's part of the conversation that becomes so critical when we talk about the scope of our responsibilities. We are building physical rooms in your facility. Flooring, in my opinion, is not a pitfall. It's fairly easy to find someone who can do a poured epoxy surface. And as long as it's leveled, we can install the room over it. But the reality is the HVAC, external ventilation considerations for hazardous compounding are a major, they're a reality. It's just something that somebody local needs to be on site and, and needs to review not only your requirements, which are all, by the way, obtained in the USP 800 document. There's two paragraphs that talk about air exchanges required per hour, which from a non-sterile point of view is 12, and then the pressure differential of 0.01 to 0 0.03, yep. um, negative air pressure, inches of water column differential between your ambient environment and the lab itself. And, it, and I think I wanted you to bring this one up and I've got to be clear about this. It's a lot easier to control your pressure in a sealed system than it is in a stick build where you've got all of this air leakage. So having someone working who is a mechanical engineer or an HVAC specialist who understands all of these things, they're the ones that can avoid a lot of your pitfalls. Like I just, HVAC is where people blow their budget almost every time. Yeah. I've seen it so often. And I hate to call it a pitfall. It's just, it's a consideration that if you want to do this. <laughs> it's a vacuum of money. It's sucking money out of your wallet. Yeah. That's what happens. And there's, there's an upfront cost and that's a really good point. But, you know, think of the operational expense of someone brought up a great analogy with me once. And it was at a trade show when we were talking about rooms. So like, would you leave your hot water running on all day? Mm -hmm. Um, most people would say, why would I do that? Well, if you're heating your air in the wintertime, depending on your climate, your, hair, your air is being heated and blown out externally all day long, 24 hours a day. So it's a consideration from operating expense and then same thing from cold water, although cold water is not much, not much of an expense, but think of it of you're cooling your air well, it's and like blowing pouring, it outside. It's like pouring ice on the floor in Texas. Yeah, so it's just, considerations you know it's this is not made to to be a deterrent it's just these are realities that people need to wrap their heads around and the last thing we would ever want is buyer's remorse so we want to make sure that we work together most closely with our members determine the requirements build a room that is physically sound that mitigates the risk uh, to eliminate the chances of cross-contamination and, and sanitary conditions and the reality is put you in a much better position when you are looking at sterile or non-sterile compounding. And then also hit those compliance points that are easy to maintain and still easy to future-proof. 
because that's going to be one of the future considerations. Things are not going to get easier with respect to compliance. We're only going to be tightening up as we learn more. Absolutely. And lastly, this is an HVAC position. I've seen HVAC over-engineered, and it'll shake your room. It'll shake your entire building if it's overdone. Yeah, and I heard that too from um, a renovation or stick build yeah. point of view. They didn't know. They, they were told negative pressure, but not that range that we recommend according to the guidelines of 0.01 oh, yeah. to 0.03. And the air handling system was so overpowerful that was actually, <laughs> and this is something people need to know this. It was a, a stick build or a drywalled room. It wasn't a modular mm -hmm. clean room. They physically got cracks in their drywall and they had to constantly seal and repaint. Yep. So I, I, I didn't even think of that as a consideration. Oh, it's, it's, it, HVAC guys will stick a bigger fan if they need more airflow. That's easy. It's bigger, bigger airflow through bigger mm -hmm. H horsepower. The problem is, is the consequence of that is A, cost, B, you're sucking more air, but then also the vibration issues. Man, we, yeah, I've got friends who are HVAC people and they're like, yep, just put a bigger fan on it, it'll work. The problem is it can have a negative impact on your actual work environment. It's crazy. Noise, vibration, like you can't set up air, your scales. Air is a funny like, thing. Yeah. Because you don't see it. And we don't, we don't really take it into consideration, but when it's pressure differential, when it's too much and too much of anything is not good, um, especially in this case. So yeah, it's a great point. And sealed rooms are easy to vent, but a non-sealed room is just a disaster. Yeah. And if, if you are physically listening in the state of California and you do have this and you want to walk through this, there are some different requirements in the state of California. So nevertheless, I know the climate is changing in regards to USP and 100. We, we hope to have some type of finality soon, but nevertheless, I think the projects that we've worked on are coexisting with the USP and 100 monograph and, and what people are looking at for hazardous and 797 has been in place for a while. So like I mentioned, the easiest way to learn more, www.pccarx.com, click our product tab, uh, click our clean room tab and then learn more about our clean room materials and and how we approach all this from a modular wall system point of view and then if you need any information fill out the form on that page we'll be in contact with you as soon as possible i think it's probably the best segue into what we normally talk about but if you want to follow us along <laughs> on on instagram twitter uh facebook um, or any other social media platform that we do exist, please go ahead and oh, as always subscribe. One thing we never necessarily ask for, if you do listen to the podcast, feel free to give us a five-star rating if this is something that you truly enjoy. And as always, if you can also leave a comment, what, what do you like? What do you want to hear? We'd love to hear from our audience as well. Seb, thank you for, for doing this with me. Actually, it's the other way around. Mike, thank you for being such an informative and talkative guest it was really good um but also if you are listening and you do have any feedback for us you can always let me know when you talk to me on clinical services called we're more than happy to chat and of course we always take direction we, we love to hear what you want to hear about hit the five stars leave a review that'd be awesome um i know people have done that and that's been great to see but nevertheless we thank you guys for listening along over the last hour it's been a pleasure to deliver this information to all of you until next time this is Mike Delisio, and we'll talk to you soon.